Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. Here we talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter what the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly, and happy reinventing, folks. Hello, and welcome to The Power of Reinvention. You know, I think I start every episode saying that I'm super excited about the guests that I have that day, and that is very genuine. But I have to say, there just might be a whole other level of excitement here for me. I have today as my guest, Brad Rothenberg. Say hi, Brad. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Kathy. Hi, everybody. Brad and I have history that dates back to, I guess, 1993, because we worked on the World Cup Soccer 1994 together here in the U.S. And, oh boy, what fun we had. What crazy times. Um, Nothing like as Brad's father, Alan Rothenberg, who was the CEO of the World Cup Soccer. I'm not sure if that's the right title. Was that that the actual title? Something of that nature. I think we put a CEO in front of his name. Okay, so there we go. He was in charge. He was the man in charge of really making all of that happen with an incredible team. But he said it was like kicking a soccer ball across America. And since I was in charge of a lot of PR statements and a lot of media, I think that was a line that was ingrained in my brain and that felt that felt like exactly what we did is we visited nine venue cities and did some pretty incredible things across the country with soccer on a grassroots level, on a corporate level. And I think we kind of changed the dynamic and the perspective of soccer in America. And For what's sure. really exciting, so to bring this full circle, and as we're going to dig into today... Brad has continued to really lead the charge and really create impact in communities in the world of soccer. And we worked on the Legacy Tour together, which was all about leaving a legacy in the communities. I think we did, what, about 220 events in 120 markets in the 90 days leading up to the opening of the World Cup Games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from, uh, you know, the first touch point to the last throughout that entire period, I think we impacted hundreds of thousands of kids across America. And Brad has continued to do that incredible work. Um, he currently sits as the head of a company called Four Soccer Ventures. Is that correct? Or It is. I'm not head of it, but I am an executive executive vice president. They bought the company that I started with my business partner 20 years ago. So I'll let you tell the story because I don't want to ruin it. But I really, you know, there has to have been a moment in time where soccer sort of really took over a big part of your life. But before we go there, I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions, which was, who was little Brad? Who was little Brad? And you know, were you a passionate soccer player yourself as a kid growing up? Were you more into other sports? Was sports even, you know, your thing? Um, it's so interesting to look at who we were when we were younger and what our dreams were of what we were going to do one day and where we find ourselves today. So who was who was little Brad? You know, I've seen you ask similar questions where you ask your um, 
interviewer to interviewee to jump ahead or go back. Uh -huh. and that's fun listening to people's answers. In my case, I love sports. I did not play soccer. I played for fun, but I always chose baseball over soccer during that season, football, American football and basketball. But I was always involved in soccer because my dad was involved in soccer when I was born. He was the, I think he was the assistant general manager and vice president of the LA Wolves owned by Jack Ken Cook, who owned the Lakers and the Kings. And that was in the early 60s. So my dad's always been in the business of soccer. Um, but my joke is, since you teed this up and you know my dad, so he, he and I are still close, very close, and he has a good sense of humor. If he was actually any good at his job as the president of U.S. Soccer and World Cup, I would have, I wouldn't have had to be doing this. <laughs> I love that. Was, well, they, well, we did a very good job of introducing the business of soccer to a large part of America. The people that still have been disenfranchised have been the lower income communities, largely Latino who are passionate, passionate fans, but didn't have a real opportunity to engage in the system that we have in the United States where you have to pay to play. Um, and this similarly in the black soccer community, which is a, a, a narrower community, but still deeply passionate when you get into those pockets of hardcore black soccer community yeah. leaders, there's serious passion there. Um, so 20 years ago with my business partner, who you know, Richard Copeland, we started this business creating a parallel universe to U.S. soccer so that you didn't have to pay to play, but you could come to our events and be seen by elite coaches and scouts Youth clinics were free. All of it was free. We have a tournament, too, but it's it's not free, but it's priced, so it's very accessible. Uh, coaching clinics for boys, for girls, men, women. In fact, this last weekend, we were just in Los Angeles, and Angel City, the new NWSL team, sponsored the 5v5 tournament where boys and girls competed for an Angel City Allianza Trophy what we try, what we've strived to do over the last 20 years with Alianza de Football is to give everybody a chance to have the elite opportunities that you would otherwise get by being affiliated with U.S. soccer, which is where you pay fees, pay to play in tournaments, travel to tournaments, and it can be thousands of dollars per player. We try to eliminate that, and we bring the U.S. soccer and Mexican soccer scouts, the MLS and Liga MX scouts to us. We have famous, mostly Mexican, but Hispanic soccer players, legends, giving youth, doing youth, youth clinics and, and coaching clinics. It's been really rewarding. Um, and I think the, you know, as much fun as we had working to create something that the difference back then, if you remember, yeah. right, Kathy, I felt like the world didn't believe we were going to oh, pull yeah. it off. No question. And so there was that underdog mentality that we always carried with us. And it was fun to succeed and to succeed so wildly. I think it's still the most successful World Cup in terms of tickets sold and revenue, um, but which will change in 2026, in part because there's going to be 48 teams, more games, more opportunity, even though they're not all going to be in the United States. Most of it will be. The, am I like, I, I, you know, when, when you invited me onto the show and I started thinking about my life, I am, even though I've always been an entrepreneur, at least in the last 25 years, taking chances, you know, being not being risk averse in any way, in some respects, you know, as I've thought about the reinvention, yeah. I am an accidental reinventor. I love that. If my life didn't take on certain things beyond my control, I sort of, I went to, you know, I grew up in this really kind of rigid educational world at a prep school 
and I went to a you know an elite college where I was just sort of told to put my head yeah. down, think about my goal, and go right. after it. And all this was a distraction. Yeah. And um, I mean, you remember my wife Dina, and the story there is you know, the two big things that happened to yeah. me. One, not exclusive to me because other people have lost spouses, but my wife got cancer and it was terminal, and she died, and I had these two boys that were eight years old. And then the other, which we all experienced, was the pandemic. Uh, but and I've heard this from, you know, listening to other podcasts and your other guests. There's an excitement and energy that comes from reinvention, whether you intend it or it happens to you. And there's in some respects, because I didn't calculate change in my life, it was really exciting. And it seems so I, I always have to apologize. But when Dina died, my wife, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you the story of what what I did with my kids when I realized that everybody was taking their temperature every 20 minutes to make sure we were all okay. <laughs> um, we left town. And, um, but before I get there, what, what I experienced when Dina died was, I guess it's a kind of intellectual excitement trying to figure out my new life. That's a very interesting, we a very interesting way to put it. And I, I think it's a very honest statement. Because no one is ever forced into a position to really proactively figure something out that way, unless something like that occurs in that moment in their lives, right? right? It's in your book. You talk about you know, looking at life through rose-colored rose lenses, yeah. lenses, which is really just it's trying to reframe something to for a moment, just for a moment exactly. to figure out if there are other ways to look at something. And there always are. Yeah. I, and I never, truthfully, I just didn't have the, I didn't have somebody like you in my world telling me to reconsider, or I wasn't picking up those self-help yeah. books. It happened to me. And when Dina died and I realized I had these two kids under my charge and our family, my family members were convinced, trying to convince me to send them to boarding school. Cause I didn't think, I, I guess they didn't think I could handle <laughs> it. Um, I had a really supportive business partner, Richard, who took on a lion's share of the revenue that I was responsible for of securing it. And, I, I really got into my new role where I wasn't just waking up at seven and going to work six or seven days a week sometimes, but staying home and being there every day after school, taking them to school. Um, and it was, if my heart broke when Dina died, my heart also burst open after because all these things I hadn't just let go by the wayside yeah. in the world, uh, the emotional part of my life, I was, it, I was under a torrent a flood. And I also realized that obviously it was trauma that I yep. faced when she died because we really had a, a really wonderful complimentary and close, close loving relationship after we were together 22 years. But trauma, when we talk about it is such a, a loaded word. Trauma usually means pain, disaster. Um, and it has only negative connotations, but I think, if you're prepared to react to trauma, or I didn't know I was prepared, but if you can engage trauma and get through it, there is intellectual excitement. There's an emotional energy that comes from figuring things out. I, of course, missed her every day, but I also, in some respects, felt like I was, she, I, I felt very much like she would be proud of me. Yeah, well, it probably um, fueled you in other ways, you know, to really charge yes. forward and especially for the boys. I mean, you needed to be that 
double parent in a way. You really had to step up in a way that you otherwise would not have. And, you know, understanding where work plays a role in our lives. And I think so many people, you know, if, if life just goes on, you have no reason to just think about things like that. And this is one of the, the topics, reinvention is such an interesting topic, especially right now, because of what people have been through in the last couple of years. And, you know, my invitation, my, my book is an invitation to contemplate the conversation of whether it's a five minute reinvention or a 10 year reinvention, just pause long enough to question the things you're doing in your life and lean into that, listen to yourself, question what you value and question whether you're really doing the things that align with your values. And a lot of people just don't do that often enough or they do it so late in life that they think that it's too late. And I don't think it's ever too late, right? I mean, what did, what did you just say to me as we got on the phone? I'm 58 and what are you doing? <laughs> See, I'm I can't remember. I can't remember what it... <laughs> you went shopping for something yesterday. Yes, that's right. For a, a wedding ring for an engagement ring for my new longtime girlfriend, who actually was what happened after Dina died is you know, I hadn't dated in 22 years. So I went back online and I met her way too fast because, you know, by the fall I had met her. Dina died in March. Six months later, I'm with Kelly. But I had decided at that point that I needed to make a change, a big change. So this power of reinvention was instilled in me because Dina died and I was in this environment where my kids were not thriving. I think, I don't know about you, but, you know, some people endure hardship and they dig in and they just, you know, they become better at, they they bury themselves at work or they bury themselves in, if they're kids in their sport. My, My kids and I just sort of floundered. And so... Over Thanksgiving, in this very house, we had some people over, and I took the kids upstairs, and my wife had her favorite old-fashioned atlas that spun a globe, and we blindfolded ourselves, and each of us went, put our finger twice on the map, and they still remember exactly where we landed. I think that one of them landed on Azerbaijan and Eritrea. (laughs) The other one landed in Cambodia and China. All exciting, but had their challenges. Um, and so I went to the bottom of the globe and I landed, I think I landed in the ocean and then I slid over. You were, you were hoping, I hope you were hoping for Australia, maybe down at the bottom. <laughs> I could have, I would have been happy with Australia, right? Australia Chile, Argentina. Yeah. And, uh, and so six weeks later we had moved to Argentina. I met somebody online. We switched my house for her apartment. We spent the first couple of weeks living in, in a divorcee's, uh, summer pad because we were the only, only, they were the only kids and uh, everybody was yeah. single hanging out by That's the pool. And we spent a year and a half there and I re-engaged. I took a sabbatical. I was, I got them up, you know, we sent them to school on a bus. I sent them to school on a bus and I was, I had to wake them up at 5.45 every morning to get them hey. ready to get on that hey. bus. Was <laughs> there every day when they came home, we really, and we reconnected. So when we came back to San Francisco to the very life that we had left, it was filled with the positive memories of Dina yeah. and sort of this power that all three of us, we've never really spoken in detail yeah. about it, but the power that we can overcome hardship and challenges can be met, which, you know, the transition to the, what we all experienced these last, through the pandemic 
It was the same thing that happened to me professionally with Richard. Yeah. We had this huge live event company where we were, you know, doing 25, 30,000 people a weekend in you know, 10, 11 cities a year. We've been in 41 cities, these huge Hispanic soccer events. And all of a sudden, our business was shut down. Live events, impossible in the beginning of the pandemic. We had also already received most of our sponsor, not most, but some of our sponsor money. So, you know, in fairness to them, they stuck with us, but they were curious if we would be able to repay them. And they knew quickly we couldn't. Uh, we were going to go bankrupt. We'd started talking to four soccer ventures, but the pandemic affected them too. So we had to figure out how to stay alive, stay relevant as a company. In fact, I have nothing to do. So I started painting the restaurant where my kids worked because they were on hard times. My kids were still working because they were, uh, what do you call it? Um, essential workers. Yeah. So I would go over there and I, I said to the owner, I said, give me a bucket of paint and I'm going to, I'll paint your break room. I'll pray, paint your conference room. I'll paint your hallways. Great. So I spent a couple of months doing that. that. And in between, I would go meet Richard and we would spend a couple of days a week at the, at the Marin food bank, taking crates of pears and putting them into smaller units that we would, that could be distributed. And we were struggling to figure out what we were going to do after all these years but what an yeah. incredible way to pivot and just put your energy and your time into something that was so necessary. You know, so many people did not think that way and did not lean into that. So, you know. No, I, I will say that it was always crowded at the food bank. Volunteering was popular, but the owners of my kid, the restaurant where my kids were, thought I was crazy. They're like, <laughs> you know, we're, we don't need it painted. I said, well, yeah, you we do. do need it painted. <laughs> right. We, we were not planning to paint. And I said, I'm not asking you, you buy the paint. You don't have to pay That's me. Funny. And so I, I got paid in bagels. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and I still get paid in bagels. Whenever I show up, they never That's charge hysterical. me. That's hysterical. I love that. Um, but while Richard and I were sitting over, a, I don't know, maybe a ton of literally one ton of pears, putting them into these small boxes, he looked at me and he said, this is exactly what we need to do. And I said, I know it feels good to volunteer. He goes, no, this is what we need to do with our company to stay alive long enough that four soccer ventures could purchase us. Cause we went out of business, our brand was dead and they weren't going to be interested in taking the risk to revive it. So we had all these venue contracts where we were supposed to be playing soccer games. We went back to those same venues. We kept our staff. They took a 10% a pay cut, which, you know, we have since increased their right. salary, but we never really got their full uh, they're, they're back to where they were, but we never recomp. Right. We couldn't afford to compensate them for what right. they lost, but they stayed employed. And we went to those venues and we, and I, I was just looking at the pictures yesterday after we talked, we had a line of tents and a line of food, as well as everything that a family could need from diapers to pillows, to blankets, to coffee makers, to eyelash curlers, to everything. And what's, what was really interesting for us is, especially in the Latino community, we were told the moms think of themselves last. So those, you know, eyelash curlers, the blow dryers that they would never buy for themselves when they're struggling. There were a lot of tears shed between Amazing. us when we were throwing things in their car. And we kept our business alive, but we also, we start, I wish we were still doing that kind of work. I love our soccer yeah. events, but I'm, the reinvention mentally for me, and this is now the the purpose purposeful part of my life where I have to make it happen, is I like the part where we I like the part where we get to shed tears, not over a soccer game, but because you are 
in the, in that very moment, changing someone's life. And the, there's a part of our business that's a foundation I started with one of my other partners that helps these kids that come to our soccer right. events who are great players, boys and girls, and have a decent GPA, financial hurdles to overcome. And our scouts say that they're very good, never going to be pro, but good enough. We have a foundation that mentors them through the process of matriculating to college. Mm. And with a sister organization called Yours in Soccer, the two of us have been 100% successful in getting kids into college using soccer as a tool to get financial aid. So these kids don't pay. Either we get a direct scholarship. In some cases, it's been an academic right. scholarship or some financial aid package. And that's the kind of work that I learned over these last this last decade yeah. is much more, uh, it's both engaging. My work is engaging, right. my for-profit work, but it is really personally engaging to meet these people one-on-one. -on -one. And I know some of them probably think I'm a freak because sometimes I've only seen them on the soccer field and I've talked to scouts. And then when I finally get to meet them, my first instinct is to high-five them and embrace them. And they're like, like what's this old man doing? <laughs> you know, it, it says so much, but you have always led with passion. I mean, look, I had the privilege of knowing you when we worked on the World Cup back in 94. And you always had this incredible ability to, to connect with people, first of all and for, foremost. And you were always really passionate about what you did. And that is an incredible quality of a leader and makes people want to be a part of, like, I'll have some of what he's having. I want to, I want to be involved, whatever that is. And I love the fact that you're so cognizant. And it's really interesting. A lot of people don't get the opportunity to recognize what their passions are. I talk a lot about this in my book and all of these wonderful conversations I get to have with people. And so often the question comes up of, yeah, I'd love to reinvent some part of my life, but I don't know what I'm passionate about. They don't know how to figure out how to find out what the there there is and how to tap into that. And it takes going into the quiet. It takes the understanding that you're entitled to sort of sit and listen to yourself and start to really delve into the things that move you. You know, it might be music, it might be colors, mm -hmm. it might be certain things you see driving in the street and just the sheer ability to be aware of the, those things that kind of make you go, ah, oh, that felt good. Or I love that. Or that song made me happy. Or it reminds me of a time when, or that smell of that food. And when you actually start becoming more sensitive to the things that move you, you start to actually collect all the pieces of the things that you know you should be having more of in your life. And it sounds so basic, but in actuality, most people just don't think that way and they don't allow themselves to tune into that part of themselves. And the you, you've always, you just described me in the same way that I would describe you, that you're incredible. We're both, yeah. I, I don't know how you wake up every morning. I wake up in I a do. good mood. Always. I don't know why, but I'm sure do. you do because you, you, you're the same type of person who's always ready with a smile and eager to get something yep. done and hurdle whatever emotional, personal um, personality issues you might have to face on any given yep. day. I, I mean, you know, I know we don't talk that often, but we're sort of cut from the same cloth that way. And you can't, yep. I don't think you can create it. it. It's something, the DNA of waking up every day in a good mood 
is something I do not take for granted and never have. And there were a few days when Dina was really sick or after she died, I did not wake up with a mood every day. But but I still I, I still think that what you're describing, you obviously in choosing to do to, to create this platform, you know, a, a multimedia platform, which is it, of course it's its own reinvention. Because as far as I know, did you ever have a multimedia personality-driven program that you've done? I remember you having it. You've you delved into a you you just delved into a major business segment in in commercial media, and that's really bold. You know, like I, my pivots are, are like little movements that a I didn't think about until they happened to me, and some you know I had to, was forced to reevaluate, and I move sort of uh, tangentially around things, but you sure dug in. Thanks, Brad. I did dig in, but no, I didn't have a multimedia platform, and I did create another new brand and company, but I was always a creator within the walls of my agency over all these years. And it was fun doing it for myself this time, not just for the clients, you know? You've built businesses, made extraordinary pivots with your life and your sons, and you created something profoundly impactful. And uh, folks, sorry, I was responding to Brad. We are having a technical glitch. Um, I can always control these situations. And I'm so sorry to do this, but Unfortunately, we could not finish this interview and the way we both would have liked to have shared more with you. So there may just have to be a part two in our future. Um, but you know what? Brad was really an accidental reinventor, as he calls himself. He embraced challenges and changes and came up with this incredible life for him and his kids and really made sure that he had a great sense of purpose and passion built into it. And I think we can all take something away from that. That's for sure. He moved across the world with his twin sons of eight years old when his spouse Dina passed away and he took them on a wild adventure. He says he didn't calculate change, but it was exciting. Life happened to him and it fueled him to creatively explore life like he never expected. He showed his sons the true meaning of resilience and opportunity, and he continues to live like this every day in all that he does in his personal life and in business. We're kindred spirits that way, and I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with Brad. Thank you, Brad, so much for being on the show. So feel free to check out the notes. Um, there'll be links to how to reach Brad in there and, of course, any other content that you want around the reinvention exchange. So thanks for listening. Happy reinventing and have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Power of Reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit thereinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs, and listen in to the Reinvention Virtual Chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend, and thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.